right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. We have an interview coming here shortly with the legend himself, Colin Montgomery. Uh, Could not have been more excited to sit down with Monty. We're out at the Charles Schwab Championship here in Phoenix, the final event of the PGA Tour Champions season. We were hoping to get an hour. We thought we were going to get an hour with him. Uh, He was running a little late. I think the win this past weekend uh, in L.A. kind of bumped a little bit of his media obligations and, uh, and travel schedule this week. So uh, 35 minutes with him, and we could have gone for a lot longer. He was an absolute delight. Really enjoyed uh, the topics we covered here. Before we do get going, it is the season to stock up on your Chrome Soft golf balls. Limited time only. Two dozen Chrome Soft or Chrome Soft X golf balls for just $70. Not only that, you can get free personalization with them. Chrome Soft combines tour-proven distance and performance with exceptional feel, driven by the groundbreaking new graphene-infused dual soft fast core whether you're stocking up for yourself or you want to go ahead and knock out christmas gifts for the season go to callawaygolf.com today take advantage of this offer while it lasts and that's two dozen golf balls plus free personalization for just 70 dollars. callawaygolf.com without any further delay here is colin montgomery ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the no laying up podcast we hopefully we're catching this guy in a good mood he's coming fresh off a win last week here on the pga tour champions Wanting to have this guy on for quite some time. Mr. Colin Montgomery, how are you, sir? Well, thank you very much for having me on your show and uh, looking forward to it. Well, I'm, I, I, want to, I got a lot, a lot of things to talk to you about, but one, I, I want to get an idea of, of the PGA Tour champions and how that's been mm-hmm. very good to you the last few years. Did you always picture yourself playing on this tour? When did you kind of buy all in to this process? Yeah, no, it's a good one, isn't it? You know, when you when you get to the so-called end of your PGA Tour or European Tour career, when you're, you know, 46, 47, and you tend to be treading water towards that 50 area, and you think, oh, I'm missing a little more cuts, and am I, am I going to perform out in the Champions Tour? Am I going to play and all that sort of stuff? And 50, you think... I've, I've done okay. I've had a reasonable time at this. I'm, I'm just going to get a couple of dogs and walk them on St Andrews Beach, you know, or something. <laughs> I don't know what, you know. But it, it so happened that uh, that I was playing okay and, and thought I might just give it a go, you know, really. And then found that I that I was still competitive, and that was key for me. I think if I was finishing 25th, 30th most weeks, well, I don't think I'd be talking to you now here, you know. Right. Uh, but it sort of happened quite quickly, and and. Uh, and did okay, and hence, hence here we are. Is yeah. the competitive nature of it is the is the main driving factor? I mean, is it is it hard to say goodbye to golf? Is that what it is? I think so. I think we're all in that boat. I think you know, uh, Halo when once said we've got a room key itis, you know, where we <laughs> have to check into a hotel, but. I'm not quite as bad as that, but at the same time, the competitiveness keeps you going. And 50, you know, when I saw my own parents reach 50, you know, it was an older generation. I think this generation is younger, how they say 50 is the new 40. And I think that, you know, the guys, apart from myself, are all are all fitter, stronger. They're working harder on their games. And it's a proper, I hate proper tour, of course it is, but it's a very competitive, full scheduled tour and uh people aren't coasting out here oh no oh no i'm i'm shocked at the amount of time people take practicing they've got their coaches coming to their particular homes or whatever even out on 
on the course here at tournaments. Uh, they're practicing harder than I ever imagined, mm. and they are better than I ever imagined mm. as well. So, you know, it's uh, it's a very good standard of golf. Well, we're going to start somewhere where I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have guessed we were going to start. But how do you, I want to hear about how you get from tournament to tournament and what Mm -hmm. you do along the way. Because we've heard some stories, but it's fascinating. (laughs) It's a dream of ours to go on one of these trips with you. But how do you do it? What do you do? Oh, God. Well, I seem to have a a sort of season ticket with the British Airways, okay? So I bought a season ticket for for the year and off I go. So what happens is I leave from Heathrow, which is about 10 minutes from my house in uh, Sunningdale in London, and uh, go to the nearest hub that BA fly to in America, which is fairly good. I think there's about 20 places that BA actually fly to. And then and then hire a car, or I'm very fortunate that PMW uh, tend to sort of look after me and, and give me a ride and a very good one, or, or I hire a car, I rent a car from the airport, and off I go. And it might be that they've dropped me, BA have dropped me in Chicago, I've got to get to St. Louis, or BA dropped me in New York, I've got to get to wherever, you know, Pittsburgh or something, yeah. and so off I go. And I try and take time, because this tour starts on a Friday, uh, I play the Prams on Thursday, so I've really got Monday and Tuesday off, really. That's mm-hmm. my days off, that's my weekend. So I've got time. So what I do is I is I tend to go to the odd museum. I go to I go to the odd uh, historical monument or whatever the case may be. I mean, God, the last trip, what was it? Oh, we went to Graceland in Memphis, <laughs> Memphis, Tennessee. My God, that was a that was a shot back to the seventies uh, to see Elvis Presley's place. And then on the way down from uh, uh, Bass Pro Shops uh, tournament in uh, Branson, Missouri, went down through. South Fork Ranch in Dallas, above all things, you know, which was a very popular show even in Britain. And these sort of things, I've been to the OK Corral in Arizona there, you know, I've been to the gunfighter OK Corral, my God, you know. Uh, All sorts of places. Uh, National parks is what we hear, a lot of national parks. National parks, national parks. And I tell you what, you do it extremely well in this country. You do your national monuments, your parks, the cleanliness of everything, the way everything is done is superb. You know, we even have to go to... My partner, Sarah, she's a, a good fan of, uh, no, what was it, the show, oh, forgive me, uh, uh, The Affair, of course, The uh-huh. Affair, right? So, of course, that was filmed in Montauk, which is the east side of of uh, Long Island. So, of course, the, the whole tour left New York and went west to Seattle. But, of course, we go east <laughs> to, to Montauk, which is the end. And I, I didn't realize they actually call it the end, and it is, and... Uh, to see the lighthouse, we had to eat at the lobster roll place and all the stuff. <laughs> and then we had to go and see the bridge, Big Little Lie. She likes that show as well. So we went down to see Brixby Bridge, is it, mm-hmm. down? In uh, Monterey, yeah, yeah. In Monterey, we went to Pebble Beach, so all this sort of stuff. So we try and fill in the time in America. You've got, you've got some fantastic... I mean, no wonder you guys don't, don't really need passports because you've got it all in the one country. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your Hawaii for your beaches and your, and your whale watching, which is incredible. You've got your Grand Canyon, you've got your mountains, you've got your skiing, you've got your beaches, you've got everything here. So, so it's quite good to take that opportunity and see some of it right. along the way. How has your relationship with the United States evolved over the years? I mean, did you have this enthusiasm for traveling around the U.S. during the peak of your playing days? Or it seems like you're, Not you're really. in... Yeah. Not really. When I, in the peak of my time during the 90s, uh, I only used to come over to the States really for the, for the majors. 
and the world events weren't really on then. So what it was, it was the four majors I used to come over, the three majors, mm-hmm. obviously the one in Britain, but three majors and also the sort of Bay Hill TPC type deal, you know, leading up to the Masters. Uh, uh, the Bridgestone tournament was on at the time before or after the PGA Championship. So I used to play eight or nine events a year and, 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 and really went in and out. I didn't really stay. This, because this is the first time that I actually joined the PGA Tour, I'm staying, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I don't go back as much as I did. Because mm-hmm. did you think that you were, kind of, like you said, you were mostly focused on Europe and you were kind of a mm-hmm. little bit before the time period, most of the European players now or at least have PGA Tour membership, have residents here, play a lot of, uh, here. Do. And they you do. were just a little bit in that era that was kind of transitioning mm-hmm. between that. Yes. Do you attribute to kind of being not even half in, half out, but just kind of partially in mm-hmm. to you never winning a tournament on the PGA Tour mm-hmm. in the United States? Just mm-hmm. You just didn't give it that full commitment? Do you have any regrets on how you did any of that? I think if I, yes, I think I, I think I do, you know, uh, family was important. We had three young children and uh, home was London and, and, and it was difficult to think about moving the whole lot over sure. here. Yeah. Uh, it just didn't happen. And, uh, uh, but if there was a regret, put it this way, if I'm doing it again, uh, to win over here and, and to do it properly, I think I would have had to have lived over here. And so to answer your question, if I have a regret, yes, possibly. I should have come over here earlier. Was yes. that was that important to you, though? I mean, is that... Not particularly to win over here. No, I mean, it wasn't It wasn't a big deal. I never, I never lost sleep over it. I was doing okay in Europe and performing okay over here. You just didn't get the fortune that you need to to win, right. you know, I've never lifted a trophy and said I've been unlucky, I can assure you, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, they've got to have a luck uh, along the way, and, and 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 these major losses just, just, just didn't happen, there was no luck went my way, and I'm not just saying my way, but against my opponents as well, the mm-hmm. bad luck on them or good luck on me, it works both ways, uh, but... I, I didn't lose sleep over it. It was just nice to to break a duck when uh, when uh, I managed to win the senior USPJ at Benton Harbour. There and, was that and, a monkey uh, off your back? Oh, oh, huge, very much so. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Especially when people said it was my first stroke play victory in America. Uh-huh. You know, and, and you know, I'd won that world match play uh, over at Greyhawk here in 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 Phoenix, but uh, not not a stroke play event. So, yeah, eventually. It, against to dig a wee bit you know people mention it more and more sure. and so it was nice to win yeah what has along those same lines your relationship with the media been like over the years do you have mm-hmm. any i guess it's kind of a chicken and egg thing i think with a lot of the your your response to either criticism or heckling or anything mm-hmm. and that's kind of mixing fans and heckling but yes. i feel like it helped you know once people got an idea, that, an understanding that they were getting a rise out of you. Totally. It made things worse. Yes, do you yes, have any yes. regrets on how... Look, Do you look back at any of that time period? One, do you think we're kind of out of that time period? And two, do you look back and think, I would have done this differently if I could do it over well, again? Answer, uh, yes. I mean, answer your, answer your two questions. We are well out of that time period yeah. now. I mean, uh, uh, the support I'm getting in America now is fantastic. So thank you to all the, all the fans and, and uh, supporters, spectators. That, that era is gone. But I didn't, I didn't help myself. Right. Okay, I'll have to be honest with you, and I didn't, I did not help myself. In uh, what ways? Well, it was 1997. It started really. Okay. Uh, uh, I was leading congressional in uh, the U.S. Open. I'd started well, and uh, was still leading or tied for the lead, playing the. I'll never forget it. Playing, playing the 27th hole of the event, which was the ninth hole on the second day. There was a rain delay, 
And uh, you know what happens in rain delays, the crowd tend to go to the bars. And, oh, yeah. You know, because one, it's dry, and two, it's wet, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I came out after that, and somebody said something, and I answered back, and it's a thing you don't do. Mm-hmm. And I did do, and, and that I regret. I gave an inch, and it was... And a mile was taken, you know, really. And and it and it's anything in life when you when you make a mistake, you you know, it's a sort of two second mistake, but it takes a few years to actually get over that, you know. And I'm glad we're over it now. And it's and it's a a lovely place to play. I mean, I've always I've always had a huge respect for America, the whole scene of America, the whole might of America. I've always had a massive uh, uh, love affair for it in many ways, and it was a shame that I. I I made a mistake by answering back and, and uh, somebody heckled and I answered back and then of course it just, it was on TV and of course it got worse and, and that was that. But uh, it was unfortunate and, and uh, I, I blame myself but at the same time it's, to answer your second question again, it's changed dramatically yeah. and, uh, and, it's, and it's a complete reversal and I'm really, really enjoying myself now. Has that changed because of, would you say that people have evolved or have you handled it differently which has caused, well, caused you to come out of it? I think there's a few things. I think, yes, uh, uh, people have evolved, people have matured, we all have, you know. I have personally as well. I'm I'm giving back. The crowd are, are noticing that they're giving back and also I think the Champions Tour is a slightly less stressful place to play. Sure. Anyway, so I think there's three things there that uh, uh, the Champions Tour is the tour to play on. They all say that and, and, uh, and I can... Having witnessed it and and uh, having me through it now, uh, I can honestly say, you know, there's a great comradeship between the players before and after after the round, more so than the PGA Tour. But then it's amazing when the gun goes Friday morning or Thursday morning, you know, if it's a four rounder. Uh, it's amazing. It's competitive. Oh right. my God, it's competitive. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is what it's supposed to be. Sure. You know. Yeah. Well, did so. Let's say like let's from a timeline of events. What was I guess? What was the low point? I think the easy answer is probably ninety nine at Brookline. Is that is that the case? Uh, of the heckling. Yeah. I, I suppose you know. I mean, the one thing that we didn't, the one thing that we made a mistake on, and uh, and as a team. And, and as administrators of the game within the European team, America had not lost the Ryder Cup three times in a row. Mm-hmm. We'd won it uh, in 95, we'd won it in 97, and we were 10-6 up going into 99. And we didn't give enough uh, respect to the Americans by them not wanting to lose three times in a row. It wasn't just my game, there, was other, there were other incidents on the course during Brookline. It was a, one of these days, but no, nothing can be taken away from the fact that America played extremely well. You know, they won the first six games, which is unheard of. And suddenly from 10-6, we were, we were, we were 12-10 down and right. things got, you know, really smelly, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I have to go back to the gentleman that I was playing. And I sure. mean gentleman in Payne Stewart. And, um, you know, to think two months later he's not with us was, was shocking to everybody. And, and, uh, and it was a game that I will always remember. Uh, not the result. The game of golf didn't matter a damn. Uh, when you think about, you know, you're playing partners not with us two months later. And uh, current U.S. Open champion, uh, you know, was amazing. So the result of the game didn't matter at that when you look back on it now, you know. Well, can you tell the story of what why that meant so much to you? What he did to that Sunday? That you well, know? yeah, yeah, I will. You know, the first thing that uh, Payne said to the press, and I was watching. I was there in '99, obviously at uh, Pinehurst when he won the U.S. Open, uh, 
and one it's so well. Remember the putt that went in with a cut-off, you know, it was raining and the cut-off yeah. sleeves and all the stuff that went on and, and the patriot that he was in saying that, my God, yes, I'm in the Ryder Cup team now. Now, he, he just won the US Open. And you thought that was a big deal. Right. But he said, no, I'm, I'm back in the Ryder Cup team because he didn't play, I don't think, in 95 or 97. So he's back in it. And it meant that it meant that much to him even before he'd said anything. So so coming back to, to uh, Brookline and playing the singles match, which is what people tend to remember the Ryder Cup with is your singles games really mostly than than your foursomes or your or your four ball. That works out well for you. We'll get well, there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that, that's what tend to, you know, you tend to go. And of course, so having said that it meant so much to him and then to the detriment of his own game to actually go into the crowd and eject a few people on my behalf, that meant the world to me on my behalf because uh, he he was he was feeling it too you know it was getting a little bit crazy really mm-hmm. and uh we were the last game on the course so you know that it could have yet happened to finish with Elazable and uh and uh, uh Justin Leonard didn't it the game before but uh, we were behind them watching it all unfold and so that was t- to the detriment of his own game in the fact that winning the U.S. Open, getting back in the Ryder Cup team, that to me was a that to me was a real gentleman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What do you owe your Ryder Cup success to? Because we were looking at your Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Your playoff record on the European Tour was zero and seven. It was, yeah. And your yeah, singles yeah. record in the Ryder Cup is six zero and two. How do you how do you possibly explain the two? Because I guess like I feel like rather unfairly, people you know because of the fact you never won a major on, mm-hmm, on the main mm-hmm. tour that you were. Mm-hmm somehow being labeled as not being able to play under pressure. Right. Pressure doesn't get any bigger than the Ryder Cup, and maybe nope. no one ever has been better than you. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you delineate the two? Usually it's, you know, you see like somebody with like Tiger Woods has been the complete opposite effect. In a way, I, you know, it, it, goes back to, it goes back to this crazy game of golf. And anybody, you know, your listeners here would understand how crazy the game is. Uh, yes, I can play under pressure. Everybody that gets to gets to a certain position in the game can. It's just a matter of if your opponent's not having such such a good time, or or someone does something fantastic. I mean, I was going to get beaten in the Ryder Cup if someone came out and shot nine under. I mean, best of luck to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just so happened that they didn't. Uh, uh, you know, you go off to a flyer and and you've had it. Francesco Molinari won the first two holes against Tiger. When I was captain in in, in 2010, we thought, okay, that's good. And then Tiger birdies nine out the next eleven. You know, seven and six. You think, what the hell? What happened there? You know, it just you just you get fortunate, you get unfortunate, whatever. And and I happened to play some good golf within that time. I hold some good putts. I I putted well. Uh, and I wasn't I wasn't afraid because the Ryder Cup I had other people on my back. You know, I was fortunate in the time that we played the Ryder Cup. We had we had five guys in Europe that were really apart from Freddie Couples and I think Nick Price, Greg Norman. You know, that was it really. That was the top ten in the world, and mm-hmm. five of which were European. With you know Lyle, Langer, Seve, Faldo. And of course, Woosnam. And, and uh, so I, I started off playing with them. So if I, I felt that if I didn't win, well, they were going to do something to help me out here. So I had more freedom mm-hmm. in that Ryder Cup than I would have done normally. So playing the Ryder Cups, I had more freedom, especially early doors. And then the last said, three, three or four Ryder Cups, I, 
I got to a stage where people were sort of beginning to rely on me. And I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that feeling and, and, uh, and went out and performed okay, you know. So, yeah, I was, I was lucky, uh, especially once, lucky, you know. Lucky is 602, well, isn't lucky? Well, well, <laughs> once there was, there was a time, 2006, it happened to be my last uh, Ryder Cup. I mean, you don't know it at the time, but, but yes, it was my last playing the Ryder Cup at the K Club. And we were ahead, quite well ahead, I think, ten, <laughs> ten and a half, five and a half or something, going into the singles. And Ian Woosnam came to me, the captain, I'll never forget it. And he said to me, you know, uh, you've been going first for a while here, Monty. Uh, uh, do you mind going first again? Because you know what might happen. You know what they're going to do. Now down, you've got to put your strength at the top. And Tiger was the strength. So he says, do you mind if you go first? Because odds on, you're going to have to play Tiger Woods in the singles, you see. And I go, look. Look, Ian, you're the captain. I'll go anywhere. I'm delighted to go one to twelve, whatever the case may be. Uh, yeah, sure. You know, fine. So, <laughs> something. Oh God, what have I said? You know, God, you know, <laughs> you signed up for Tiger Woods. <laughs> Absolutely, I've signed up for the worst game of my life. You know. Anyway, so I'm talking about fortune in in some ways to you here. So the draw comes out, and it comes over the radio. We're all sitting in the sitting in the locker room the European locker room, and it's a bit crackly, the phone, uh, the sort of walkie-talkie type thing. And so the draw comes out and it goes, Monty, you see, because it was uh, John Paramore, the European referee, and he's always known me as Monty. So Monty first against Tom. Tom. And I'm thinking, Tom, hang on a minute. <laughs> Who's Tom? Tom? Tom, who's Tom? <laughs> Tom Lehman's the captain. Why have they put me against the non-playing captain? You know, I didn't... I'm, I'm supposed to be playing Tiger, you know, and I didn't hear Tiger. And it was David, David Toms, Toms yeah. you see, David Toms, and they'd switched it. Tiger actually played, I think, fourth. He had to be in the top sort of half. Yeah. I think he played fourth and, and played Robert Carlson in the end. So you say fortunate, you say not. I mean, David Toms, my God, you know, he could beat anybody on any day, anywhere. Some some guy that you've got to go and play, you know, your best golf to try and beat. So, it, you know, I'm not saying it was easy, but at the sure. same time, possibly even even David would would understand it was easier than playing Tiger Woods. Of course. You know, so there you go. Well, this is kind of a random nugget I found when I was, you know, preparing for this was Paul Casey did an interview talking about the 06 event and he said, Nobody really noticed this, but while all the players were on the balcony spraying champagne, having a good time, Monty was mm-hmm. nowhere to be seen. Mm-hmm. He just wants a quiet moment, and I can understand that. Was yes, that the case true. when you guys would win the Ryder Cup? You would, you would not, you would kind of need a quiet moment. Why is that? And can you explain that? Very much, very much. Uh, going off first in the Ryder Cup is not a position for everybody. It's not, it's not something that everybody would would put their hand up for. It was a big deal, and I. I had a record in that Ryder Cup that I was very proud of, and 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 I hadn't lost in seven, and this was beginning to n- not lose in eight. I was, I was two up with two to go against David, and uh, David birdied seventeen to to be you know just one down playing the last. I managed to birdie the last, and uh, to half it with David. He finished birdie birdie. I managed to, to half him at the last to win by w- one hole, and it took a lot out of me, it took a hell of a lot out of me, and I went into the players dining area uh, the European players dining area which of course was empty because I was off first so, so there was nobody in there mm-hmm. I think the chef was even out watching the golf the Irish <laughs> chef I don't blame him 
And so I just needed a moment. I needed to sit down in a moment because the crowd were going nuts. It was Darren Clark's Ryder Cup. It was everything was going nuts. Although I went out to the 16th hole where it was all going off the... the, the, the I stayed at the back. I didn't want to. I didn't want to to be part of 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 a huge. Everyone was going nuts, and I I just stood back. But I I did take about half an hour in that team room on my own, because sometimes you you know it gets it gets to you sometimes sure. when you're out in that position, and that's all that was. Did you know, having been a captain as well? How mm-hmm. different? Obviously, you're not playing the golf, but did mm-hmm. you? Did you, I guess, you know, I've heard some captains say like, wow, I would, I would have been a very different player for my captains having gone through the captaincy. What was that yes. experience like? Did you kind of have that same reaction? Yes, it was, uh, you know, having, having, had a, having had a reasonable career playing, you don't want to really spill it by losing as a captain. Now, I hated it, to be honest. Really? Absolutely hated it. Uh, not, <laughs> that, that's harsh. Hated it when the players left the first tee. Because you were out of control. Correct. I was enjoying it to that stage. And then suddenly, my God, I've let my first group off. Now, they've got to come back in four and a half hours or however long it was taking uh, with half a point or a point or else I've made a terrible mistake here. <laughs> and it's and it's too much really emphasis on the captain, to sure. be honest with you. I mean, the players have got to, I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm not coaching these guys. If these guys miss a three-foot putt, that's their fault. It's not really my, you can't really blame me for it. You know? <laughs> but but the captains tend to have to take that on the chin, you know, and, it, and it's tough. And uh, any captain or any coach or any manager of any team, whether it be baseball or football or basketball, whatever it might be, you know, tends to get that and it was just the lack of control feature that I didn't like I hated that lack of control where I sent off my team and I didn't have any control nothing I could do nothing about it at least as a player well I had some control even if the guy was eight under playing against me well I had control to be nine under I had had that you know you know thought as a captain, my God, I had nothing. I just drove around a buggy, looking at my phone, looking at the scoreboard, looking at Christ, what's happening now, you know? So it was the lack of control that I didn't that I didn't yeah. like, and I'm sure that every captain would say the same. So all the success you had as a player, winning as a captain, is mm-hmm. that was that kind of your? I can't. I'm at the peak of the Ryder Cup. I'm. That's it. I can't do it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Now uh, forget the Ryder Cup. Now, yeah, <laughs> I've done, been there, done that, and you know, t- to use a term, and and uh, yeah, that was it for okay. me. Uh, uh, I spoke to Sam Torrance, I spoke to Ian Woosnam, I spoke to Bernhard Langer about, you know, doing it again sort of thing. And they said, look, look, Monty, run a mile, run a mile from this, because uh, uh, once you've done it once, you've been fortunate, one by half a point, you know. Don't don't toss that coin up again. Sure. You know, don't don't do that again. And 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 I yeah, I honour what they were saying. I can understand it fully what they were saying. If I'd lost or if the team had lost, then you could come back a bit like Davis Love did in 2012 to come back in 16 and win it again. Great. You know, fine. Best of luck to him. But as a winner, I think I think you've got to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. We're going to give you a chance here. Uh, Steve Elkington has had a career telling Monty stories. Okay. <laughs> 
This is your chance to get him back. Okay. What do you got? Do you have like a good? You have a good Elkington story that you'd love to roast him on. Steve Elkington. It's your time. It's your turn. Well, well I mean, God, it all goes back to you know. I mean, I mean, amazing. No, I, I don't really have to. Yeah. Honestly, I'm thinking now as I'm <laughs> as I'm as I'm saying something. But no, I mean, I mean, it all goes back to the playoff in you know in '95 at Riviera. You know when he hold it off the back of the green and you know you miss the fairway left. So I'm favourite. He missed the green. I'm favourite. And then suddenly, bingo. You know. You know. Uh, you hold a putt from off the green and you win the playoff and I was left with a, I don't know, about a 20-footer and missed it. And so, you know, th- there you go. But no, I mean, I mean, all I have for any of my any of my opponents over the years and competitors and fellow competitors is the greatest amount of respect because I know how difficult this game is. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody that says they've got it or anybody that's got this big ego in golf, uh, you can forget that because it's going to come back and bite you, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, I, I, no, I don't really have any... Steve Elkington. It's all in good fun. It's all in good. All right. Yeah, it's good. all good fun. Well, in relation to that, what was your actual process for turning professional? Because the way he told it on our podcast was mm-hmm. that you were getting ready to be an agent and he convinced you to play professional golf. Is that yes. the case? Well, there was conversations. Yes. I mean, I'd, I'd done my degree in Houston, the same as the same as Steve. I was at Houston Baptist University. Steve was at U of H. And, you know, we knew each other being foreigners as such, him being Australian, mm-hmm. me being me being British. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I got my degree and I was delighted to get my degree from HBU and, and in a business management degree and thought, well, I could get a job now. Fantastic. Well, what have I got to do? I love America. As I said to, uh, at the start of talking to you here today, uh, I love America. I could be I could be an agent. I could be like a, an agent for the sort of Norman Price. Uh, uh, the big three were still IMG clients at the time. There was Norman, there was Price, Floyd. Uh, goodness me, there was Faldo, uh, uh, Woosnam, Langer. My God, there was a, a pick mm-hmm. of uh, Lyle. They were all there. I could, yeah, I could go around and get these guys deals. You know, I, I could enjoy this. <laughs> so yeah, and then it so happened that, uh, that, that I entered a few uh, European tour events as an amateur, made the cut in them, and was beating. Uh, players that I thought were going to beat me, and I thought, hang on a minute, do I just give this a couple of, uh, of give it a uh, shot, give it a shot, you know? Uh, and that's what it was. But it was it was it was weird how it worked. I had an interview uh, at Turnbury, now called the Trump Turnbury, uh, now, uh, but it was Turnbury Golf Club, and it was just after the 1986 Open, so I just got one more year to go university. And I played with two IMG executives, Ian Todd, who was the president of IMG in Europe, and Peter German, who ran all the events for IMG. And I felt that if I could get in, if I get my foot in the door there, so I managed to get an interview to play the back nine at Turnbury with them. Now, if anyone knows Turnbury listening, that the back nine starts <laughs> miles from the clubhouse, <laughs> as most links courses do by the, by the lighthouse up there. And uh, I was playing and... and uh, and I didn't think of what I was doing. I was watching my P's and Q's in interviews. You do. You're watching what you say and have I, have I doing the right thing and just playing out. And I think I hold a bunker shot. I chipped in. I, I, I hold a couple of putts and I birded the last and came back in 29. You see, playing playing with these two guys. Now I didn't know the score at all. You had I no idea. I had no idea what the hell was going on. I was just trying to get off there without making a fool of myself, you know, and trying to get through this interview. And they said, well, well, Colin, they said, uh, after that performance, uh, mm, uh, you're not going to work for us. We're going to work for you. Hmm. And I'm going, hang on a minute. This is what the <laughs> One round of golf. Two hours of golf. Half, half a round of golf. Nine holes. Two hours of golf. And it changed my whole perspective of what 
they thought, because they were professionals in this game, they understood, mm -hmm. you know, the game, and I didn't. And I, I was just an amateur player. I had played in the Walker Cup team or something, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I, you really had think. no idea you were that good. No, really? no idea, no idea. And uh, so that's that changed my perspective, changed my outlook. And I said, okay, I'll give it a couple of years. And I turned pro, and I'd won within a couple of years in Europe. And then, hey, that's why we're speaking today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing. mainly to do with that. Two hours at Turnberry, I'll never forget it, uh, uh, that they said that I was good enough and I needed somebody to tell me. Yeah. I didn't know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up at Houston Baptist? <laughs> Houston Baptist was a long, long story. Uh, uh, God, I mean, again, a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, Houston Baptist University had a chaplain uh, who was a good golfer, a member of Sunningdale, uh, an Irish chaplain who actually was the chaplain to your NASA astronauts that came over and trained with our RAF, our Royal Air Force. And uh, uh, Alan Shepard being one of them, you know, and, and uh, of course, based in Houston, NASA. And uh, so you could see the, the sort of it's coming together now already, whereby Coach knew the chaplain and got in touch with me. And so, hey, for there you go. But again, I mean, I was sort of almost pioneering the fact that British coming over to America there wasn't many international students now there is mm -hmm. well there are a lot of international students in these universities and you know playing for the the teams that uh, wasn't wasn't back in the back in the mid 80s uh, where I first started and and uh, so I you know again uh, I could play golf before I went to HBU but when I left HBU I could win hmm. I learned very quickly that America there's a winner, mm -hmm. one winner. Uh, second place, third place in Europe is, oh, well done, Monty. You finished <laughs> second, you finished third, you know. Well done, what a great performance, you know. Better luck next time, sort of thing. In America, what second, went wrong? second and third, <laughs> yeah. what the hell happened there? That was, that was rubbish, you know. One. So yeah. that's how I got harder in a way, and I got, I got in a way of learning how to win. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Very last question. I know we've got to let you get out of here, but uh, if you had one mulligan to take on one shot for no your entire mulligan. career, what would it be? I think, I think most of your listeners would know this one. Yeah, I was, if they don't know I was afraid me, it was too easy of a yeah, question. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, yeah, I mean, you have, you have one. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few, to be honest. There's about 10 I could reel off, but one in particular would be the, you know, the 2006 US Open at Winged Foot. You know, I'd, I'd, hit, I'd hit a perfect drive, and, uh, and this was the opportunity. I'd finished second to Tiger in the Open at St. Andrews in 2005. This was the, you know, the next up, you know, U.S. Open, and it was always a tournament that I'd held in great esteem, the U.S. Open. It was one I wanted really to win more at the time than the Masters, to be honest. You and, had two uh, close calls. Yeah, yeah, I had a, a playoff beforehand and another close call, and... and, uh, and and I just, unfortunately, you know, it was the time. I'm, I'm convinced that I've, if I'd played that shot, my second shot into the last hole at winged foot in real time, uh, like like ready golf, I'd be okay. Uh, the fact that my playing partner hit it into a <laughs> tent and then had to have another drop from another tent, and then it yeah. took, they said, eight to ten minutes. Oh, God. Now, now, I'm standing on the fairway, eight to ten minutes, I just wish to this day that I'd I'd just gone and hit it. Just add, you know, could just, you? Was that a realistic thing? You could say, "Hey, do you mind if I go?" I, well, 
Yes, I suppose I could have asked. It, it wasn't a thing you did. Yeah. You waited for your opponent. He was further away from the hall than sure. I was, so it was his shot. You know, nothing he could do. Uh, nowadays, possibly, I'd have just, you, you don't have to ask now, you just hit it. Right. And, and I'm convinced if I'd hit it in real time, God, I thought I changed my club from a seven to a six, back to a seven, back to a six. I just, something to do, you know, change your club. So there's indecision. There was doubt, and of course, I didn't strike it properly at all. It came off the toe into a horrible position and uh, and made a double bogey six. And and uh, yeah, so if there was a mulligan, that was it. But I could, I could, hey, hey, I've been playing this golf long enough. I could reel off thirty five mulligans. Right. I, I wish I could have. That's why I, I asked because it's like that was the easy answer. But I didn't. I thought maybe there's a chance you'd be like, well, I had a three footer the first day at Riviera that I missed, and yes, you never yeah, know. Yeah, kind you of never know. You never the butterfly know. effect of some of these things. Course, so I think of course. Uh, I asked Tiger that one, and he said something about in 1997 at the John Deere or something he would take back. I said, really, really, <laughs> golly, exactly. Well, that'd be 83 wins and not 82. Yeah, so come on now, he come hasn't on. missed too come many on. of them. <laughs> All right, Monty, we got to let you go. Thanks so much for joining us. We'd uh, we just scratched the surface on things we've uh, been dying to talk to you about, so we'd love to do it again sometime. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Thank All right. you. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Monty, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 